You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Well, good morning. You know, I trust that everybody had a good July 4th. I felt like it was appropriate to show a clip from, from the Patriot regarding a struggle for freedom that we've had for our American independence. You know, it's still a struggle today, and many nations and countries of the world are not free. They don't have religious freedom or they don't have political freedom. In our country, there's even, I believe, some reason for concern when our politicians, whether they be Republican, Democrat, or Independent, say things like, we have freedom of worship. That's not really what our Constitution says. Our Constitution says we have the freedom for the free exercise of our religion, which is more than just meeting in a private place somewhere, but it means the right to be able to take what we believe in our conscience and express that in the world. I think we need to pray for our country. Our country is in dire need right now. But that's political freedom. Many people look at freedom and and define it in their own personal terms. To some people, freedom means to be able to do their own thing, maybe to be their own boss. An extreme measure of that would be, I don't want to have any kind of moral constraints in my life at all. I just want to, regardless of who it hurts. There's a difference between Political or cultural freedom, that's one thing. And spiritual freedom, which is another. In the word of God, it's different from political freedom. We're going to look at that in a moment. Freedom is the highest virtue. It's something we long for. It's something we dream about. Jesus dealt with this issue of freedom with the Pharisees or the religious leaders in John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36. We're going to read that right now. John chapter 8, 31 through 36. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said. There were some Jews who were open and responsive to the word of God. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. I love that expression. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has a permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. Now here our Lord was talking about freedom. Some assume that he was talking about intellectual knowledge here because on many of our institutions there is an epitaph sign which reads which quotes John 8:32 you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free but that's not what Jesus was talking about here it's not book knowledge neither was he talking about political liberation here the the Jews confuse that he was talking about abiding or holding to the teachings of the word of god It's a moral, spiritual thing. The Pharisees really weren't ready to accept that. They weren't ready to accept. He wasn't their their kind of Messiah. They didn't see themselves as sinners either. Jesus said, he who sins is a slave to sin. They felt like they were self-righteous based on their law. Even though we know that in, in the scripture it says that by the law, no flesh shall be made right. No flesh shall be made justified. We need to understand the Jews, though, I think, because 
and remember that they had a they had a difficult time based on what had happened to the people. You know, in 722 BC and 586 BC, the people of God had been led into captivity because they had disobeyed the law. And so now the, the Jews were like, you know what? We're going we're gonna to be law keepers. We're going to keep the law. We're going to obey the law. It's the last thing we ever do. So they stressed legalism. They stressed the law. They stressed law keeping, which is good in and of itself, but they lost the spirit of the law. They lost the true meaning behind it, and they missed Christ. True liberation involves abiding or holding to the truth in the word of God. Psalms 119, 160 says, All your words are true. All your righteous words are eternal. Also in Psalms 119, 105, the psalmist reads, Your word is, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's the foundation of true freedom is as we look to the word of God for guidance and direction in our life. That is the true basis for freedom. Now, what happened after this captivity is that in, uh, there was one, as I said, in 722 and 586 B.C. They got real legalistic with everything. By the time Jesus came around, they had even added laws to make them like it was going to make them more spiritual. The Mosaic Covenant was already a condemning thing there's no, by, by the law no flesh can be justified yet they wanted to add they added more rules by the time of Jesus there were 600 additional rules added for the Sabbath day alone for example don't break branches on the Sabbath day because if you do you're working and plus you can't ride a horse or a donkey how does that make sense well they, here's how the rabbis figured well if, if if you get on a horse or a donkey, you're probably going to want to giddy up a little bit like this. And, and, and what's going to happen is that you're going to run into a tree probably, not meaning to, and you're going to break a branch. Then you're going to break the law or traditions. That's exactly the mentality that Jesus was dealing with in that day. And it didn't get any better. Even after the time of Jesus, 500 years, they, they gathered all these additional traditions into, into their commentaries known as the Mishnah in the Gemara and enslaved the people even more. Is tradition an issue today? I grew up in another generation <laughs> in, the, in the hippie era. And I remember that one of my friends was in the Jesus movement. Some of you might remember that. Show your age if you do. Had hair down to the middle of his back. Well, he accepted Christ, and I had the joy of, you know, discipling him. And he went down front one Sunday, and as they do in a traditional kind of setting where they play the organ music, you know, just as I am without one flea. And uh, walked down front, accepted Christ, made his profession, public profession of faith. And I never will forget, one of the ladies came down, and she goes, Oh, man, Barry, we're so glad to have you. Man, I'm glad you're part of the family of God. Now, when are you going to cut your hair? I never will forget his response. Probably never. He did eventually because he went into the corporate world. But legalism has been a problem. I don't know if it's as much an issue today as it is, as it has been. But, you know, 
I went to Israel. I was privileged to take an incredible trip years ago. I went, I'm not going to tell you how long. I went to Israel. And uh, it, I took, I guess, probably about 250, 300 slides or so. One of them is one you're going to see right now has to do with... No, that's not... <laughs> correct me. That's a professional slide. Back then they did slides. Now it's all digitized. That's a Kodak slide of uh, a man riding a donkey on top of the Mount of Olives overlooking the old city of Jerusalem. I did that. I never will forget. <laughs> I got on the donkey, and when they lit it down, it goes... Like it had arthritis or something. I thought it was going to throw me. I'm serious. But, but it was the most memorable trip I've ever had in my whole life. Well, one day we were going out toward the temple area and had just come out from it, and we sat down. And, you know, our guide began giving us a history lesson, as they do. And they had all these guards stationed around, y'all, I mean, in full uniform, in full military guns and everything. And all of a sudden we heard something like, And our guide goes, he looks at one of our girls, and she was filing her fingernails. And he said, Margaret, you'll have to stop filing your fingernails because that's considered work on the Sabbath. And I thought to myself, man, it made it come alive for me. The very same thing that our Lord was dealing with in the first century is the, is the thing I saw firsthand, adding to the law, trying to make it a burden. It's to those folks at that time that were experiencing that that Jesus wrote these words, Matthew eleven, twenty-eight through 30. When I read this passage initially, when I was younger, I was taught, to, to, taught that this was just about the Lord giving us soul rest. And I think that's true. He does give us rest. But he's specifically addressing the issue of the burden of the law here. And an issue here is that we have been freed from a performance based mentality because that's what it is basically a performance based mentality you know that if we can we can keep the law paul said in romans that they had the the religious leaders they had they had a form of righteousness but it was self righteousness it wasn't the righteousness of christ because because they rejected him if you want to go by the law and say hey i'm a really good person which is kind of a theology for modern man today i'm i'm good i'm basically good you got to be perfect Here's what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, a yoke is what they put around the neck and the head of an animal to stretch it out, to make it work. Our Lord has fulfilled. He took the penalty of sin upon himself. There is a Sabbath rest for the people of God. It's a wonderful thing that we have that. You know, when I think of, when I think of freedom, I think of freedom from debt. I don't know about you. It's been estimated that around 50% of people today have a debt of at least $1,000 or more. And those who have credit cards, have, 10% of those folks have a debt of at least $10,000 or more. So it can really be a yoke around our neck. 
the scripture teaches that we have a spiritual dead. Paul puts it this way in Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin has been referred to, Martin Luther referred to it as a bondage of the will, a captivity of the soul, and a deadness of the heart. Again, you know, growing up in the hippie generation, that was a time when a lot of values and people's feelings about different issues changed. And I think probably what before that, there were some things in our society that even brought that about. But people changed their ideas about sin, about, about wrath. Wrath was anger, you know, judgment. A guy named Carl Menninger wrote a book back then called Whatever Happened to Sin? Because people were like, Hey, it's no big deal. We're all basically good people just trying to work it out. But what happened here was that uh, if we're not careful, people get into a performance-based mentality with this. But what Jesus did is that he came and he freed us from the penalty of sin. And people think that, you know, sin is no big deal today. But, you know, it's serious enough to where God took the wrath of God upon himself, which is the anger of God, that's love. That's really love. And I want to share today how I read a book years ago when I was in school called The Theology for Children. It's a great book on how to communicate truth, spiritual truth to even young kids that, that, that high. I'm going to show you today how God is a lot like a fur-lined boot. You know, last about a year and a half ago, my wife and I, we had to go to Chicago because uh, of her sister. She was dying in the process of it, and we had to take care of a lot of things and had to take several trips. My wife was glad to have her boots, her fur-lined boot, because, man, the weather there was just absolutely terrible. You know, in the Midwest last year, they had all those snowstorms and everything. Well, she was able to put this boot on and go out in and, and the cold and the, the weather and bear it all because she had these boots on. But what if Janet or some other person said, you know what, I don't, I, was cute. I, I, don't, I don't like the outside of the boot. I really don't. I just like the fur on the inside. Now, I can't take this fur off. I wish I could, but. If you could take the, the fur out of here and just put the fur on your feet. To see a person did that. I said, you know what? I got my fur on. Let's go outside, y'all. Come on. Let's go into the snow and the ice and all of that. And uh, you know, what's going to happen? Will you teach a little child that? And go, <laughs> yes, sir. Why, why, why? It would get wet and dirty. And uh, you would probably get frostbite. Well, there's a purpose in this boot. In the outside of that boot to deal with the hard elements, to deal with the, the, the weather conditions. Well, in the same way, in a moral universe, God has to get tough with sin. Sin is a serious thing to the point where he took the wrath upon himself. God is like a fur-lined boot, y'all. A lot of people want just the, they want this kind of thing. You know, people say, oh, I love my fur-liners. Oh, they, they keep me warm and fuzzy. I love the fur liners. But forgetting that, hey, God has to get tough with sin. Sometimes a parent has to get tough with their kids. 
I mean, if you don't, and it's just all, you know, fur line, it's not going to be very effective. God took the penalty of sin upon himself. I liked what he said in Colossians 2, 13 and 14, what Paul, the apostle Paul reveals to us there, that he took upon himself when we were dead in your your spirit, in your, excuse me, I can't read this, in our trespasses and sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins, having canceled the debt written written with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And I like the idea he canceled the debt. That reminds me of in the Old Testament where captives were set free in the year of Jubilee. Actually, we're in the year of Jubilee now. When Jesus preached this preached his sermon at Luke chapter 4, he quoted from this passage and said that captives will be set free, free from the power of sin. Now, We've been set free from a performance mentality to earn our salvation. We've been set free from the penalty of sin, but we've also been set free from the power of sin. Setting free from the penalty of sin has to do with our justification. It had to do with our justification, making us, putting us into a right relationship with God, because we can't we can't save ourselves. Saving us from the power of sin has to do with our sanctification or making us more Christ-like because as we live, we're not, we're not going to be perfect. We're going to have ups and downs, but we have, we have the power now. Now, Paul said, Paul said in uh, Romans chapter 6, he used an image of baptism in Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. He said that uh, as we've been united with him in baptism, in his death, we will certainly be with him in his resurrection, be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the the body of sin might be done away with. It's an image, you know, when we're, when we go underneath the water when we do a baptism in a baptistry or in a swimming pool with us, we say, buried with him, raised to walk in newness of life. It's talking about a new life. Even though we have a new life, we're still in the flesh. We still have struggles. We still have issues. Paul Paul in Romans has said, you know, who's going to save me from this? I still have my mind wants to serve God, but in my flesh there's a tendency still to want to sin. And if we deny that we have sin, the Bible says the truth is not in us. It's a real deal. But Paul answered that question in Romans 8, chapters 1 through 4. He answers that question for us. Actually, 1 through 2. Therefore... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. We now have residence within us the Holy Spirit which gives us the power to obey him. We're not under the moral burden of the moral law anymore but we have the power of the Holy Spirit to obey him. 
in Colossians 1.13, there's a language here of deliverance, that there's a battle between two kingdoms. There, the Apostle Paul said, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. That word rescued there is an interesting word. It means he's plucked us up. He snatched us up out of it. By his initiative, he's taken us out of the kingdom of darkness, no longer to be slaves to sin. Because we've been set free that we might serve him, that we might walk in freedom. He's also, when it says that he delivered us from darkness, it also has to do with our understanding. We now have an understanding that we didn't have before. John said it, said it like this in his John's gospel. He said, the light shines in darkness, but the darkness did not comprehend it. But when we've been delivered, and now our, our eyes, are, our spiritual eyes are open, and we're able to see and understand the things of God. Paul said further, you know, my, my wife tells me, I'll say this first, that years ago she was approached by a cult. And they were really nice people, and she enjoyed them and everything. But upon examining their doctrine and their teachings, she came to see that it really wasn't of Christ and of God. What made the difference? Even, even a young believer like her at the time was able to tell the difference because of the Holy Spirit that, ab- that enables us to, to see through the darkness, to decipher truth from error. 1 Corinthians 11, 12 said, We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given to us. There's this also a sense in which, you know, we have been delivered from the power of sin. And there's a sense in which that power of sin uh, is still with us and that we're in our flesh. But there's also a sense in which we have great victory. In fact, uh, Colossians 2.15 says that he disarmed the powers and the rulers. Hit the wrong thing. He, he disarmed the powers and the rulers, making a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. I have an image here on the screen of the already and not yet to show that. I used this illustration last year because I, I was, when I talked about David and Goliath and the battles we faced. It was appropriate for this as well. But you'll notice on the far right was the day that our troops, American troops in World War II, they, they landed on the beach of Normandy. When they did that, for all practical purposes, historians tell us that that was a decisive conflict. The war was, the war was over as far as in terms of the powers. But there was still conflict. There were still casualties. There were still lives lost on the timeline all the way to the left until the, the proclamation of the end of the war in 1945. That's kind of an image of where we are. We're, we're already uh, walking in victory, but not totally yet because we're still on our, in our flesh. Christ, on the far right over here at the cross, Colossians, as I read, says that he defeated the principalities and powers. But on the timeline between that point of his triumph in the new heavens and the new earth, on the timeline, 
We still have struggles. We still have battles, as Paul made us aware of. And we're going to have some ups, and we're going to have some downs. But we're victors because of Jesus. And one day, one day we will experience ultimate victory in the new heaven and the new earth when we will be freed from the presence of sin itself. Sin and, sin and death and all the foes of Christ. You know, uh, John had said in his epistle, he said, we know not what we will be, but when we see him, we will be, see him and be as he is. We will be like him. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, it not, not only changed them, but it also changed the environment. The, crea- the whole cosmos, the creative order changed. But the world is, was different because of what happened. And Paul tells us that in Romans, uh, Romans 8, 22 through 23, about that. He shares with us there that we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We have that Spirit in us. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption of sons. That the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. That's what we have to look for one day, y'all. Freedom from the presence of sin, from the power of sin, and from the penalty of sin, and from a performance mentality. Now, you know, since we have been freed from these things, what about, what about now? God has freed us that we might walk in freedom. He desires us to walk with him. We're going to look now at some steps to freedom, steps to responsible freedom in Christ. But before we do, I want to show a short video. Whatever life holds in store for me, I will never forget these words. With great power comes great responsibility. This is my gift, my curse. Who am I? I'm Spider-Man. Toby Maguire a lot. I, I don't like really the, old, the, the, the new Spider-Man, but that's just me. I guess everybody has their preferences. But you know what happened. He was bitten by a radioactive spider. And what happened? He became Spider-Man and uh, to fight evil. You know what happened? His uncle, Guardian, was killed by the evil guy. And uh, his uncle had told him before he died, he said, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And he took it upon himself to be a superhero to deal with it. Well, likewise, we have a great power within us. And with that great power of the Holy Spirit, John said, 
greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. With that power comes responsibility. God has empowered us with the Holy Spirit. He's given us power over sin and death. And now, one of the first steps is for us that I want us to look at is for us to get into the Word. Get into the Word. Recall that Jesus had told the disciples, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free as we abide and hold to the teachings of Christ. And he's talking about the written word. He's talking about the Bible. But he's also talking about himself. He's also talking about himself as the word of God. He is the word. We need to understand that that we have to connect with Scripture. You know, Pastor Ted said this several weeks ago. One of the travesties is that many times today we don't we don't connect with the Scripture anymore. It just kind of stays up on the shelf and gathers dust. But we are to read it. It's our manual for life, and we are to be be, be with the, in the Scriptures with the Scriptures. And as we read the Scriptures, Jesus speaks to us mediated through the Holy Spirit. A message for us. I want to share this because I think, you know, when I think of uh, connection, I think of how important it is for us to relate to one another. Um, you know, I, I guess I'm not really into the Internet as much as a lot of people. I know a lot of people are on Facebook. I don't think there's anything wrong with Facebook, but when people say, I have 586 friends, are those really fr- friends that they can connect with? I think we're meant to be eyeball to eyeball as well least have several friends who we can meet with who can who we can challenge and they can challenge us and we can stir one another up in positive ways build one another up we need that but how much more do we need Jesus the ultimate connection now in John 15 Jesus refers to himself here as the true vine he says there in John 15 verses 1 through 5 I am the true vine and my father is the gardener he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you remain in me there's that idea of holding to him abiding in him remain in me and I will remain in you No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear much fruit without me. For without me, you can do nothing. Man, the connection with Jesus there is really pretty obvious that we've been made part of that true vine. We're the branches. What can happen is, is that we don't get together with him on a regular basis. We don't relate. We don't connect with him. It's kind of like we're separate from him when he's our source. desires a relationship it's like when people first enter into a romantic kind of relationship often there's a there's a period of a honeymoon period or whatever john in his revelation wrote to the church in ephesus through the holy spirit saying telling them that they had lost their first love and you know that passage there's not a message first and foremost for non-believers i grew up believing that knocking on our heart's door and that kind of thing and certainly the application is there, but the, 
it's meant to, to stir us to go back to that first love, to reconnect with the vine and that first re- that in the reality of that relationship with him. In Revelation 3.20, says here, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens up the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Are we connecting with the word? Are we connecting with the, with the word of God and with the word Jesus? You know, I think one of the reasons that uh, it's difficult sometimes for people to connect is because it's so easy for us to, uh, to rely on, on other things. But to really hold to Jesus and to abide in him requires personal commitment and personal surrender. It's easier to rely on other things, but the result is when we don't, we don't do that, we don't go to our source, the result is that we fail to grasp the truth about ourselves and to bypass our greatest need. See, not only are we to get into the word, but also we're to realize that we're a new person. You're brand new. I spoke of that image earlier of baptism, meaning to, to be brought out from death unto a new life. Uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians also had stated that, that when we're in Christ, we're a new creature, that the new has come. We're a new person. I, like, I love C.S. Lewis. I read a lot of his stuff. In his book, Mere Christianity, he said, we're made totally different. We're not like a horse, but we're like a winged horse, totally set free. It's important to realize that we're a new person and not, not anymore to go of the old life, but to take on the new life. Paul in, first, in uh, Galatians 5.1, Galatians was written to a church that was being tempted to go back to the works of the law as a basis of their salvation. And he tells them there in Galatians 5.1, he says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm and do not let yourself be burdened by a yoke of slavery. Don't go back to that law anymore, you know, back to that uh, to try to earn it. You know, you, you can never do that. But also I think it's a plea to not go back to your old life of sin you've been set free to walk in freedom. You know, there was a heresy at the time the New Testament was written known as Gnosticism, and they taught that the physical world, the creation, the created order, was evil. And the only real thing and good thing was the spiritual realm. Well, as a result, people had several responses to that. Some said, well, you know, this, this... this evil world, this uh, depart from it, this don't have anything to do with it, like a hermit. Other people said, you know what? It's not, even, it's not real, really. It's, an, it's like an illusion. They went a step further. It's kind of like the, in the Matrix. Remember the movie The Matrix? They had this computer-generated reality, and everybody thought it was real. You know, it, didn't know it wasn't real, but it was a computer-generated reality thing. Well, to them it wasn't that. It was just that it wasn't real. So therefore, since it's not real, it don't make any difference what you do in your body, man. Hey, let's go on and just enjoy all the sensual pleasures to the max. Paul, uh, Peter even addressed that issue in his second epistle where people were saying, the false teachers, that, hey, you've been freed. Enjoy sin. 
Yet he added they were captives to their own sin themselves. I don't think people think that way today. That's stuff in the first century. That's philosophy and all that. I, th- I think today it's more like licentiousness. That's a big word that means license. People sometimes give themselves a license. They say, you know what? Some of the same ideas from 1 John are also uh, in the book of Revelation, in the book, in, in my sermon on freedom as well, because some of the same concepts are there. Ted, Ted mentioned this, that people say things like, you know, it's just kind of the way I am. Uh, you know, maybe I'll work it out. I know the Bible says we shouldn't be living together. I know the Bible says this, but, you know, it's just, you know, financially it's, it's just too hard. And besides, we've been together. People rationalize their sins sometimes with that and give themselves a license to do it. Like a friend of mine in New York, he said, yeah, you don't have a problem with sex. I said, yeah, I got a weakness. Give me a stinking break in his accent. People rationalize that way. But, you know, we've been, folks, we've been called to freedom. We've been set free from that. That's not freedom. Not only are we to get into the word and, and to realize that we're a new person, we're also to realize to realize that we've been set free from the expectations of others and truly free to serve. Galatians 5, 13 and 14. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. You have a higher calling than that. You and I have a higher calling. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. I think when we realize that we have been truly been set free to love and serve each other, not based on other people's expectations, but truly set free as persons operating in grace that we might produce the freedom to truly love each other. Another step to freedom, I think one of the most important is that we need to learn to walk in the spirit. You know, I think to preface with that, we could maybe say, summarize the things we've already said. If we abide and, and hold to the teachings of Christ and spend time in the word and the written word and the, the living word of Jesus, all that in, is embraced here, I think. But how do we, seeing that we have been, our minds have been set free from darkness to light, to understand the things of God. It's important, then, I think, to walk in the Spirit would mean to focus on, on those things, to put a focus on those things. Paul said, Paul said that uh, we need to, to have a mindset set on the Spirit so that we might walk in the Spirit, so that we might do what the what the spirit desires so it's a mindset it's like setting our setting our minds on and our affections on the things which are above not the things which are below it's important to do that and i think one one of the things that really is a problem today is that you know there's this we have this conflict going on because we're still in this world we're still in our flesh and our minds want to serve God. But we have this conflict going on. 
continually. And I think especially with visual images, like on the Internet. Several years ago, we had an organization uh, that we worked with briefly. Known, They had an organization called Porn Sunday. And basically what it was is, is helping people be set free from pornographic images, which are so pervasive in our culture. But, you know, lest you think it's just about, it's not just about sex. It's about, we, we, we seem to talk about immorality a lot. And there's a reason for that. We're going to go uh, to, one other thing I wanted to say about that, in the mindset of today is also issues with materialism, feeling like we have to have more and more and more and more, never to be content. There are other issues other than sex. We're going to look at Galatians 5, 16 through 21. Paul says, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. That means, debauchery is a word which means just uh, being, uh, not having any discretion, just being wide open in public, inappropriate. But why are the, the acts of the sinful nature listed first as immorality? Well, we know that in the first century, immorality was rampant in the church because it's the most common thing. Some, the church fathers interpreted this to mean, well, these are the nasty sins. These are the worst. No, it's, just, it's that they're the most common. I spoke with a relationship therapist probably 20 years ago, and even at that time, he said that one of the biggest issues that he dealt with with Christians and non-Christians alike in his practice was immorality. Folks, we need to guard against that. We need to walk in the spirit. But also, the acts of the sinful nature are also idolatry and witchcraft. That's paganism. That was really common in the, in the New Testament period. Idolatry has to do with something like greed even, as I said earlier, wanting more and more. Paul said in Ephesians 5 that greed is basically idolatry. When we want more and more and more things, but that's an internal sin. We don't, you know... God's view of sin is not like ours. You know, we focus on the obvious, which is there, as we've already indicated. But there's also these other things. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I'm not going to look at everything on the list here, but I just want to note fits of rage. That's a work of the flesh. I teach anger management classes. so I, I know. Anger is okay. The Bible says be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let the sun go down on your anger with your spouse. That's not, you know, all these things here are things of, of, of the flesh. It's not just all about sex, selfish ambition. Paul said, I warn you that those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Pastor Ted, again, I said that what he's talking about and what I'm talking about relate because it has to do with freedom. Is that last week he shared that those who practice sin, who, who, who do it with an unrepentant heart without any kind of conviction. You know, there's a difference between a person who does it and they have some conviction about it. They know they're doing wrong like David did, he eventually repented, and a person that just goes on unrepentant for a long period of time, that a 
person would need to examine themselves if they're doing that, whether they're really in Jesus or not. Amen. But the fruit of the Spirit. When we focus on the fruit, when we get a mindset of the Spirit, here's what it produces. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Because we love Jesus. His commandments aren't burdensome. It's not from compulsion of doing external standard like a law that says you have to do this. Man, as I look at this and I see that God has truly set us free, I think one of the great ironies is that we find true freedom when we become a slave to God. Jesus put it like this in Mark chapter 8. Whosoever seeks to gain his life shall lose it. But whosoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel, he will gain it. That's how we find really true freedom in Christ. We need to remember that if, if you and I, if we hold to the teachings, we're really his disciples. We really reveal that we're following Christ then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free and you shall be free indeed. That's the word for today. Just walk in that freedom. Just realize that he set us free to walk in it. Not to go back to an old way of trying to earn our way or into an old lifestyle, but we've been made new, new, new people. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.